Welcome to the Big Fat Gay Podcast, where we like to talk about the things weighing on our minds. I'm Michael, I am a chaser, and today I'm an old boy. I am now 30 years old, and I couldn't feel... And this is the oldest I've ever felt in my entire life, so... <laughs> <laughs> Just you wait, youngin. Yeah. Just you wait. No, I'd rather not. <laughs> uh, my name's Don, I'm a big chubby guy living in sunny Hollywood, and today... I am youthful at heart. Mm-hmm. I'm Dan Oliverio. I'm a chaser. And um, gosh, today, today I'm just calm and happy. <laughs> I'm Trevor Kizan. I'm a super chub living in West Hollywood with Dan. And I am free from the curse of Michael. I'm no longer a dog and I'm a, I'm a real boy again. <laughs> Come <laughs> back. Damn it. I need to work on my magic. <laughs> I, uh, I wanted to start this week off by checking in once again uh, with the, the three of you because we are still in the middle of this quarantine, which I'm realizing more and more that anyone who may be listening down the road to these archival episodes is going to be like, they're already going to know how long this lasted. And <laughs> if this is like, if we're 10% in at this point, they're just going to be laughing at our dumb selves like, oh no, oh no, they have no <laughs> idea what's coming down the pipeline. It's, um, it's always rough. And listening to old podcasts, yeah. like you don't even know, <laughs> it's you're trying, you're screaming at the the radio, trying to warn them. It's weird watching like television right now because you just see all these people hanging out together, doing things together, and you're like, I remember that world. <laughs> yeah, they're doing it wrong. <laughs> so, how are you guys doing? How are you holding up? Are you still is it the same old, same old at this point, or has anything it's, changed? It's very repetitive. Yes, I am the same as I was the same. <laughs> The same as I was the same. I like that. <laughs> yeah, I'm definitely finding like a lack of physical contact is just it's wearing me down. I recharge with people, you mm-hmm. know, and uh, yeah, it's not an extrovert's world right now. Yeah, I definitely am, am getting that sense. And I, I live with Julia and Max, but I think there's still this like inherent need to keep some distance um, just just in case, just because. And I'm I'm actually worried about the long term ramifications of that. Of like, at what point does that start to become ingrained behavior? Like, mm. how long do we do this until the point where it's now instinctive to keep distant from people? Um, I guess we'll find out. But there's a happy thought for you. <laughs> Never touch anyone again. <laughs> I was actually thinking, like, the day they lift the quarantine, you're just gonna have people rushing out into the street and hugging random strangers. Yeah. Or people uh, karate chopping <laughs> uh, strangers running at them. <laughs> Guess which of us is the introvert. <laughs> Someone asked me like, oh, how's your weekend going? I'm like, it's been like every other day for the past like month. But oh, okay, I guess. <laughs> Maybe we should set up something like specific on weekends to signal that it is a weekend. Hmm. Like, what would you set up to differ- differentiate your weekend from your weekday right now during the quarantine? I think like a Mary Poppins style cannon shot that echoes out <laughs> over the city. Like, I was going to say uh, an air raid siren just going for the entire weekend. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, that's way too Silent Hill for me. <laughs> so last week uh, we had our Modern Family episode, uh, which I had a lot of fun recording. And um, somebody wrote in that I uh, had a very interesting response actually just last night. And I kind of wanted to share that because I thought it was a good perspective um, from another chaser who had a very different, I think, experience of that show than than Dan or I did, um, or at least somewhat different. Because Dan, for Dan and me, the take on the show was basically it's lovely, but it doesn't represent the chaser experience. It's more about 
like they're a mismatched size couple, but but Mitch is not a chaser, and so it didn't quite connect that way for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but he wrote in saying that you know his experience was you know very similar to a lot of chasers where he was struggling with his sexuality and didn't see himself attracted to what most gay people were attracted to, and so he didn't know how to reconcile that. And it took until he was 21 to really come to terms with the fact that he was gay because he wasn't attracted to the traditional types of guys. And seeing Modern Family on network television and seeing that the fact the fact that a gay person could be attracted to somebody who was fat connected the dots for him that, yes, he was gay. It helped him mm. find his homosexual yeah. identity through yeah. the fact that somebody else could be fat and also attractive to another gay person. That makes a lot of sense. Mm. And I thought that was a really interesting point to make because the those two points didn't connect for me at the same time like it did for him. And I can I can really appreciate that seeing that for the first time could be so important for somebody who's maybe a little bit younger and like still getting going on their journey. Whereas, you know, for me, it came along a little later in my life. That's what I was talking about before, the importance of like if you have that moment where you recognize yourself in something that you watch for the first time, it's a big deal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, that definitely. representation is is everything. So, Trevor. Um, Yes. So I have been, as many people have, uh, just watching so much stuff, um, <laughs> which has included rewatching the show Ugly Betty, which hmm. um, I love. I love. Where are you able to watch that right now? Uh, Hulu. Okay. Hmm. Um, so those of you who don't know, Ugly Betty was an adaptation of uh, Betty La Fea, a telenovela about a gawky girl who works at a fashion magazine. Um, and kind of, it's a, it's a soap opera, like, you know, telenovela is a soap opera, but I want to say it's like a soap American soap opera, but you know, dialed up to 13. Um, <laughs> so, so much of the show and just rewatching the first season, I'm like, Oh, I remember all these plot points, but I thought they were like multiple seasons. The first <laughs> season has like three to four seasons worth of drama packed in. It is. But in the second season, one of the characters, uh, Mark St. James, who is the, assistant to the villainess of the series uh starts dating a chubby photographer Hmm. um which i completely forgot about and it's interesting because you see him he's attracted to this guy but he's conflicted because he's like i shouldn't be attracted to this guy he works around models so he's you know seeing him slowly be attracted to this guy but also then like asking a model out and um struggling with the fact that he likes this guy that does not fit into his world. Hmm. Um, and unfortunately, the I mean, the relationship has an unhappy ending, but the the chubby guy breaks up with him because he's like, you know, you don't see what you have here and I'm not going to deal okay. with you trying to chase something else. I think that's really great because the character, uh, the thin guy, that character, like he's he's not ready for a relationship, I think, thin or fat. And he's certainly yeah. not ready to include someone who's literally too big for his world. Yes. Yeah. And they give the I really like that they give the power to the fat guy to 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 be the one to make a choice, to be the one who's not just it's not just a given that he's going to need the relationship and stay no matter what. It's, a, it's like, you know, actually, th- this is this is not working because you're not ready and I'm mm-hmm. I'm worth, you know, I, I deserve somebody who's going to be ready for me. Anyway, Ugly Betty, you can watch it on Hulu. Uh, definitely check it out. It is just delightful quarantine watching. And I'm curious before we move on, what what do you know what network that originally aired on? 
I think ABC. Oh, interesting. Because that's also Modern Family. Yeah. That's the same network as Modern Family. Hmm. Good for you, ABC. Good for you. <laughs> so, Mr. Trevor, do we have another oh, Lizzo yeah, Watch today? It's, it's Lizzo So, last week I talked about the One World Together at Home concert, mm-hmm. um, which was last night. I didn't see any of it, did you? I saw a little bit. Uh, mm-hmm. It was, it's sweet. I mean, it's it's such a weird time, and it's just weird, like, Here's celebrities in their home singing. Um, <laughs> but it's nice. It's, you know, I'm, we're all in this together. One world. Uh, so Lizzo performed um, A Change Is Gonna Come. And hmm. it's Lizzo, so it's an amazing performance. And it's, uh, you know, she's, I don't know if she's on her patio or if she's uh, just outside her, like on her balcony or something. But it's a lovely performance. Um and it also coincided with the one anniversary of uh, c- the release of Because I Love You, hmm. which is it's been one year. And that's kind of what really brought Lizzo into the mainstream. She's been around for a while, but really in this past year has kind of been when she has, I feel like, really moved into mm-hmm. the public conversation. Nice. So happy anniversary, Lizzo. Thank Yay. you for Yay. everything. Thank uh, you for brightening our days. And I, uh, I just remembered... The visual I had in my head of last week uh, opening a closet and a <laughs> giant inflatable butt bursting out like a like the Kool Aid guy. <laughs> well, you know, honey, your birthday's coming up. Yes. <laughs> I would. I, that's what I want for my birthday. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. A giant inflatable butt. Hey, yes. hey, listen. Like Dan and Michael would love to have a big giant inflatable butt bouncy house for their birthday parties. I mean, I'll take just a regular big giant butt for my birthday. Yeah, that they, they doesn't have to be plastic and inflatable. <laughs> 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 So this week we got um, – we actually got two, a couple requests from listeners to watch the same episode of a documentary series on PBS called Nova. Um, in this case, it was an episode called The Truth About Fat, which is an hour-long uh, documentary going into a lot of different factors around sort of fat, not the macronutrient as as we had earlier this year, but the actual sort of people uh, being cell fat. in your body and mm. people being fat and what causes it and all that stuff. Um, and so we all sat down and watched it and, uh, we haven't talked about this at all. So fresh reactions <laughs> in the moment. Um, uh, Dan, did you want to kind of set up a little bit more detail about the documentary before we get into the specifics of our reactions for it? I guess the best way into it is to say that there are a number of documentaries about fat, both the experience of being fat, the macronutrient fat, uh, or things called, you know, the, the supposed obesity epidemic. Mm. Um, and it's Nova, so it's it's the approachable version yeah. of some of the biochemical processes involved. I have a lot to say about this category of documentary, but I think I'll save that. <laughs> yeah, um, we'll get to just, it, I'm sure. Yeah, we'll get to it, yeah. Yeah. So I, I didn't know really what it was at all walking in, just knowing that it was – people were interested in hearing our reactions and it's about fat. And so I was like – I kind of walked in blind, um, ready to – learn and kind of make my own judgments and it 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 was a really mixed experience i have to say i mean it was interesting it was very interesting to watch it was extremely difficult to watch in certain places um there's a section about uh the biggest loser which i wasn't expecting to come up and it was so sudden that it felt like i was watching literal torture and it was very upsetting Mm -hmm. so if that's Mm -hmm. something that you're sensitive to just know that walking in um 
that's that that would be my sort of warning before you dive into it. I I think the whole you know thing that we always kind of come back to is like it's something. <laughs> um, yep. it, well, it's yeah. something. It get, there's so many points where I was like yes yes. Yes, and then no. <laughs> um, <laughs> specifically, uh, one of the the talking heads, one of the scientists, says as a point, you know, she's like, "It's not your fault," and I'm like, "Yes, thank you." And then it's a disease, and it's like, right. oh, no, <laughs> yeah. no, it is literally yeah. not a disease. So I think the the elephant in the room, which we haven't, which we should just get to now because we can talk about the details. I have is, a name. <laughs> <laughs> the other elephant in the room. No. Um, basically it's everything that they investigate is still predicated on the premise that obesity is an epidemic and a disease. And they, the thing that, that threw me as I was watching that I was waiting for them to correct, which they never did was they act, everything is acting on the assumption that obesity causes mortality and in, in a variety of different ways, but they never explain how or why they just say, this is this is what the end well, result of being obese is. And even worse, they the first third of the documentary sets up that it's not causal because you can be obese and healthy. You can be thin and unhealthy. They set that all up and then they end with, but of course, we have to combat the obesity epidemic because it's killing people. Mm-hmm. And it, 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 it sort of contradicts itself because they've already presented the evidence that vitiates that. Yeah, I didn't necessarily take it that way. My my interpretation of it was that they had to set up the mainstream belief systems around fat in order to show any sort of contrast. No, but that's not how they, that's not how it's structured. They start with the radical idea that fat isn't death, mm-hmm. but that's how they end. It does not vary from the dogma that it's causal, that obesity is causing this, mm-hmm. which is very demonstrably proven false even in the documentary you can see that it's not the cause it's mm-hmm. part and and in fact in medical circle it's it's called metabolic syndrome and being fat is one of the things in that syndrome but you can certainly have what's called metabolic syndrome or, or uh, syndrome x without being fat one of my biggest problems with the documentary was the uh the gastric bypass segment oh which is rough. just so a such a weird like micro chunk of exploring a topic because they explore so many different topics and they it was balanced because they say okay this is what we think but also this mm-hmm. you know showing what the mainstream thinks versus what research shows and they don't really go in depth into gastric bypass it's like oh here's a solution for the super obese and this girl lost weight and it's like good for you and then they move on yeah well what's yeah. worse is they say this is the only solution for the super obese yes they they really leaned hard into it and didn't i so for me as as we have set the show up our own show from the very beginning i'm most of the stuff i am learning about as we go like i i'm not bringing a whole lot of prior knowledge and so for me watching the documentary i was expecting to learn i was ex- as you would with any documentary that you would hope would be well made and i did it, it meant like lots of new information for me or at least explained in a way that i hadn't heard before in many different subjects, which was fascinating. And like Trevor said, when they got to the part about um, bari- bariatric surgery, uh, it was almost, it was the story suddenly became very much about here's this girl and she saw her mother die and she wanted to lose weight. And so she got a surgery and that surgery was a cure for her. She cured her disease of obesity. Great, moving on. And I was like, wait, I've, isn't there more here? Wasn't, isn't there more, like well, what, what research was done around this? 
also, I feel like there was stuff missing from her story mm -hmm. because she talks about going to the cardiologist, but it's like, okay, but her mother died of heart disease. And like, we don't know if there was any kind of history of any kind of heart condition or anything. They, it's yeah. the mom's fat. She died of a heart attack. There, there was no explanation. And that's what I mean when I say they never, they never posited any evidence of this amount of weight on this person caused this disease or death or or well, issue well, because you, one you to can't one prove it you can't prove it you can't it's very difficult to prove causality in biology almost impossible mm. all you can get is high degree of correlation and then maybe uh, it kind of looks like causality right and that's that's what we're struggling with here and you know when i lo look at this like you said you just came to this and you, you you expected to learn and you know trevor and i were dreading watching this is that fair to say trevor uh yeah well i mean i was interested in then uh when I found it, I did. I'm like, I want to know where this, what is the trajectory of this documentary? And I skipped yeah. around and I saw the end was this whole gastric bypass thing. I'm like, nope, I don't really want to. Well, and, and so my point about that <clears throat> is that you can ask the question, so who should see this? Uh, we've talked about the fact that many of the scenes in it are very triggering. On the other hand, Michael's pointed out that you could learn a lot. And I think one of the takeaways is that it's, you know, that being fat is not a question of willpower or mm -hmm. gumption, mm -hmm. which I think is an important pe thing for people to take away. Yeah. So who is it for? And what you get in the fatosphere, which is the, the sort of the political world of fatness, is that for people like me, we dread this because of the health conversation, not because we shouldn't be having it, but because that conversation doesn't make a difference in fat oppression. It's not that people see, it's not that people have this mistaken idea that fat causes death and that's why we make fat people's lives hell. That's not how this goes. It doesn't combat the original prejudice yeah. that fat people get mistreated. Oh, well, why? Well, because fat is unhealthy. How does that explain it? Well, this documentary was very specific to physiological. It didn't actually have anything to do with psychological. No, no, no. Anywhere. And I'm not, I'm not, no, they, no. I, what I'm saying doesn't have to do with this particular documentary. It has to do with the fact that these docu these documentaries don't have an impact because the argument against fat isn't biological. It's societal. If even if you buy, even if you say that fat is a disease and we must stamp it out, people who have diseases and the disease needs to get stamped out, they don't get treated like fat people. And so there's sort of a two tiered system. And a lot of the information in this documentary, we have known this for 50 years, for 70 years, for 100 years. There is not a lot that's new here in many cases. And so it's like, oh, science is discovering. No, science has known this forever. But it doesn't make a difference to how fat people get treated. Mm -hmm. And so that's the disconnect. So on, on in some ways, yes, if this is news for you, you absolutely should see it. On the other hand, it doesn't it's not I don't think that documentaries like this move the needle because the needle isn't about medicine. I think that th that makes a lot of sense to me. And I think the one thing when we're not when we're not just talking about information, you know, which I think there, it is very informative for somebody like me who hasn't heard a lot of this stuff. Uh, from the horse's mouth, as it were, is the other, there's one aspect that you and Trevor both said, which is that it does very clearly try to make the point that it is not a matter of willpower. It's not a matter of laziness. It is not a moral flaw. They don't go into 
all of the other societal aspects of that. They say from a biological standpoint, this is something that people cannot control, but they, they leave it there. But I think even that starting point is still important for some people to hear. That can be very I reassuring. Agree. But like you said, like they also leave it. They they walk away from that and don't, don't they don't investigate the psychological impacts of societal judgment. That, well, that and, and let me be clear, I don't think that's the documentary's job. Well, again, it's it didn't attempt to exactly yeah. right, Don. Mm-hmm. It's not the, it's not its intent. I'm not faulting the documentary for that. That's beyond its yeah. scope. I and, am I'm talking about the general idea that if we had enough of these documentaries, things would change. No, it wouldn't. Well, and also keep let's keep in mind that this is an episode of Nova. This is not a you know, a, a greater documentary they went out. It's it's basically all of the episodes of Nova are introductions to different sci- scientific concepts. So as an introduction goes, I don't think this was bad. No, like, I don't think it's bad either. Yeah, no, it actually not, went in and explained, like I disagree with Dan about them, about the total setup of it. My, my takeaway was very much of one of like, they consistently brought up the mainstream impression of things and then devol- deviated from it a little bit to try and show a different side. But they did keep the mainstream impressions as their anchor point, which is problematic. Um, one thing that I was started thinking about when I was watching it was uh, comparisons to early studies on uh, gay and lesbian people in the United States. Absolutely. Where mm-hmm. if the initial assumption was if you're gay and lesbian, you just you have more self-destructive tendencies like you want to kill yourself more often. And that's because you're gay. And it wasn't until they started looking at it in a slightly more holistic way and realizing like, oh, if you're gay, people hate you and treat you badly. And that makes you want to kill yourself. Oh, so it's not, you know, it's that causal versus correlational. Mm-hmm. Um, exactly. Right. I, f- I feel like it, this underscored the fact that fat is still looked at through the lens of whatever scientific specialty the individual is using to study it. There's no sort of holistic approach where everyone's using psychology and physiology and genetics and evolution, everyone's looking at it through their own tiny lens. Well, uh, I, so they see a different part of the elephant. I, I think they are looking at through all those things, but the underlying premise is how are we going to get rid of fat people? <laughs> right. How are we going to cure fat? Mm-hmm. I don't know. But also with what Don said, so reframing that it's not your fault. Mm. It's a disease. It's like, you know, defending gay people like, well, it's not their fault. You know, it's a mental disease. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's how my father made peace. That's how my father made peace with my being gay. He considered it a birth defect. And that goes back to episode one of this show where, you know, we're going to grant protections to obese people at work because it's a disability. Mm -hmm. Uh, Okay. No, but you know, it's something. (laughs) It's it's something. (laughs) It's something. Yeah. At the end of the day, I, I thought they had a really interesting as a as a thing that you can watch, it, I thought it was presented for the most part in a very interesting way where they it was well produced and you got to see a lot of different aspects of this world and you got to see a lot of different types of research. Um, I think it was a well produced documentary. The section about The Biggest Loser bothered me, but that's. I don't think that's their fault. I, I think it's just something that triggers me personally. I agree. I it's it very was, triggering, but it's very appropriate. Yes. Yeah. And I think it's. I thought that was very well handled, mm-hmm. um, which why I was so kind of then put off by the gastric bypass segment, because at looking at all of these individual topics within fat that they cover, they look at both sides and they do investigate kind of the pros, cons, middle, whatever. Mm-hmm. But they don't do that with the gastric bypass. It's just this weird uh, 
it, it just felt so weird because it just felt like, okay, well, we have to have this in. And here's the solution for people who are really, 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 really fat. It almost felt like that section was like edited and or directed by a different person entirely because they also went into this world of like here's this girl who i think she was a teenager i don't think when they shot it she was even a teenager and they they had this whole like it was her story they made it very personal which is a different approach from the rest of the documentary for the most part but they also ended on her with like a a headshot of her modeling and then they cut to a different interview of her where she has a lot more makeup on and it's mm-hmm. after she lost the weight and she starts talking about how she has so much more self-confidence now because she got this surgery and it felt it's felt like it suddenly moved into this world and maybe this is just my sort of allergy to manipulative storytelling but like it really felt like uh, where, you know, like like Trevor, you know the Thirty Rock episode where they're talking about reality TV, and it's like it's when you play that music in the background, oh, yeah. and you think <laughs> that you're feeling something, but nothing's actually changed, and it sucks. <laughs> it's like it just feels sort of manipulative. Like, hey, happy ending. Like, look how thin she is, and happy that she is that she's thin. And like Dan was saying, like it's like well, but that's it's not that she's happier because she lost weight. It's she's happier that people are treating her differently. Or, mm-hmm. or like that, that's the, that's the thing we're not talking about that you're sort of, that one section suddenly became a fluff piece about something that should have been investigated much deeper than it was. And that is, and that is never a medical issue. Mm-hmm. How people get treated is not a medical issue. Right. Part right. of it though, is I think documentaries in general focus on the other, right? They never focus on you, uh, on the general person. So with this, they're focusing on the fat person, but they've never seen a documentary that focuses on how people treat fat people. You know, like not where you're following around a fat person, but you're following around like, uh, you know, go to a supermarket and film the people who take other people's chips out of their basket and put it back on the shelf. And that you know, sort of shit. You know? I, I want to know the answer to that, actually. Like if it, if anyone out there listening has seen or knows of a documentary that's like what Don just described, I want to see that. Well, I mean, getting back to Don's point about this being a documentary and like if we just talk about the documentary uh yeah i think that if you're looking for a primer on the biology of fatness this is a pretty good documentary i think trevor you'd agree with that too yeah no i think it's, it's just it's just that if you're looking for the fat experience this in no way captures it mm-hmm. and i definitely think it's worth checking out i mean if you're if you're still listening to this podcast i think it's worth checking out this episode of nova yeah, uh, it's available free to watch. Uh, we can share the link to it. Um, you can watch yeah. the whole thing. There's only one commercial at the very beginning, and the rest of it is is ready for you to consume. It's 53 minutes and change. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say well worth watching. Just sort of know what you're what you're going into to experience and what you're going into learn yeah. about um, ahead of time. So here's here's my question then. At the end of this, Dan, somebody comes up to you and says, "I am going to make a documentary about." being fat in this world and I don't know how to focus it. I, I don't know how to, how do I make it specific and interesting in a way that, ne- that needs to be heard? What, what do I do to make this the right documentary for, for people to li- watch? Like what, yeah, what, I what think does that's that a great like? question. And, and again, I, I really, I agree with a lot of what Don said that, you know, this is Nova. They've got a job to do and they did it. They did it well. And so what I would at, what I would respond to is, what interests you about it? What is the issue that burns for you such that you want to go to the time, effort, and expense of making a documentary? What is it that you want to capture? 
Mm-hmm. Or what is it you want to investigate? And, you know, for some people that is the question, why am I fat or why are there fat people? You know, mm-hmm. that's kind of what this Nova documentary is exploring. And for other people, it would be what is the experience of being fat and why does the medical angle, why does the disease so-called aspect not come any, to anywhere near that? And there are many, many other facets too. You could investigate, uh, you could investigate clothing. Like how we don't make clothing for people, we make clothing to sell to people. You know, it's size and fit is not really relevant because you're supposed to fit into this. And if you don't, isn't that really more your fault than the clothes? Mm-hmm. You know, so you could talk about, you could have a fashion angle. You could have a, a, a whole bunch of different angles. And I would really get to, and, and how I would apply this to say the listener is that you can find a lot of this stuff already online, in books, in, in magazine articles. What do you want to know about? What do you want to capture? What is the area that you either have a chip on your shoulder about, and rightly so, or what is the area that you just feel undereducated in? Believe me, it's already out there. Most of the stuff in this Nova documentary was already out there for 10, 15, 30, yeah. 50, 100 years. But nobody cares. <laughs> I got to say, I didn't actually learn anything new. But the, from well, that. and let's, let's, let's reframe for a second because I think the important factor here is that just like the guy who watched Modern Family when he was 21 years old and saw it for the first time presented in this one way, this will be somebody's first experience to that information. Absolutely. Yes. And that's who should watch this. Right. Right. So that particular documentary or documentary episode would be great for somebody as a primer. Um, For me, if I were to go out and make a documentary about fat, it would definitely be from a, a psychological standpoint. What, what does American society do to a fat person and how do different, because people handle it very differently. There, there, Mm. I know many, I would say I have about, this is a very judgmental thing to say, but just based on people that have talked to me and volunteered this information to me, about a 50-50 percentage of, of fat friends who are either what, what they would call themselves well-adjusted and, and basically fine, or people that really have a lot of struggles with it. And, and, and that split, I think, is also really interesting as just as far as people I know, like what changes there? What Like, for instance, a friend of mine said that he he had a hard time relating to some of the episodes that we talked about, like doctors not, you know, you know, being not understanding the experience or not focusing on the right things, because in his life he has never had that happen. And so clearly there are different points and places where that's not the case or where it very much is the case. And I'd be curious, following the people and their psychological and emotional responses to in this case it would be American society, but even just the many, many different facets of that, like in the different regions of our country that treat people, I think, differently. Um, so what you're pitching is actually the opposite of what the Nova documentary was. Mm-hmm. You're basically pitching the psychology of fat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And exactly. the sociology of fat, which I don't think there's been I mean, there's been tons of research, but I don't think there's been much in the way of documentary and focus. I think because it'd be really hard to watch. I mean, it's really hard to watch a group of five, six, seven-year-olds say that they would rather be maimed than be fat. They'd rather Mm -hmm. be in a wheelchair than be someone who's fat and made fun of. Yeah. I mean, and I I will say people who watch documentaries frequently aren't doing it to, you know, for the happy feel goods. Like they're doing it to learn. They're doing it to- Well, the thing is people also only watch documentaries that really kind of focus on their life in some way. I, I disagree with that. I disagree with that. The people that I know who watch documentaries are actively looking to broaden their horizons. 
that's a documentary watcher. I'm talking about a mainstream audience approaching a documentary. They're usually only going to focus on documentaries that touch on their life in some way. And it's inherently confronting. The, the person that Don's talking about, the, hmm, what's, you know, I, I, I might have this issue. I, I, it kind of relates to me. There's something inherently confronting if you're, you know, a fat person watching a documentary on fatness, if you're a gay person watching a documentary on the gays, you know, there's, there's something you have, you have a horse in that race mm -hmm. as opposed to, you know, you're watching a documentary about sub-Saharan Africa and isn't that interesting? Well, yeah. And I think that gets into a different issue though, which is how do you, what is the best method of changing the culture? It's a, it's a swell of things that has to happen collectively that has to slowly change the social consciousness. It's not going to- I gonna... always come back to stories. Like in this day and age, it's television. It's, you know, it's representation, seeing people that are fat and sympathizing with them and understanding that they are like you. Mm -hmm. Like that's what, that's what Will and Grace did for gay people. I 100% agree. You know? I think that's exactly it's, it, Don. Yeah, it's mainstream entertainment that changes things. Mm-hmm. Um, and by letting and, people see things a different way to begin with. Yeah. And not letting and not letting people off the hook of like, well, yes, they're very sympathetic and they're very fat, but you know, they are diseased. And mm. and and that's sometimes when we medicalize fatness, that's that's what we do. We give people an excuse to be bigoted because, well, they're diseased. That should be mm -hmm. that should be eliminated. And people don't get that, huh, how come that only happens with fat people? You know, there are, we talk about morbid obesity or super morbid obesity, but you know what? No one's, I've never heard the term morbidly cancerous. There's a, uh, I remember, oh God, I'll have to find it at some point, uh, seeing an interview with someone who worked at the CDC, right? The Center for Disease Control. And they were basically ta asked about why is fat considered a disease? And that person was basically saying, like, well, it's it's not. It's I not. Mean, it's not. But by doing so, uh, the CDC was able to actually contribute resources towards it. So it was entirely a political and economic reason for it. But then the media picked up on it as being sort of a great way to sort of portray this. And and it is. It's a great way yeah. to um, to make it emergent, to make it an emergency. And, you know, it's not a disease. Why? And I said that at the beginning of the podcast. It is literally not a disease. There is no pathogen. And and by the way, just to, to put an, an, a nail on that, one of the benefits of obesity is obese people do not get osteoporosis. That That is something you they <laughs> they almost, they they almost, almost that. say that. They almost <laughs> say that. And, and they, say, they say two things. They say um, that fat cells can contribute to a lot of different aspects of a person, including bone health. And then they also say when somebody is emaciated and they get too thin, they can get osteoporosis. But they don't connect the dots and they, know, they don't say that one thing. Because I wondered that while I was watching. I was like, wait, so does that mean that if you're fat, you have very strong bone health? And they, did, mm -hmm. they never answered that question. Anyway. So I think to summarize, it's a very good – it's very uh, informative primer to the subject of the biology of fat. Um, but there are definitely problem areas that we've outlined. And if you go in, just sort of know that um, it's not going to be all-encompassing. And there are definitely moments that can be distressing it just as a watcher. Um, and it's not going to address every aspect because it, it's not setting out to. It's going to it's going to inform you on these certain subjects. Yeah, it's not its job. Yeah. Um, but thank you to the listeners for suggesting it, and I'm glad it came across my radar, and I got to to watch something and spend an hour uh, talking about a subject that is very interesting to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I did bring a tip, or Ooh. excuse me, I brought a bit <laughs> a for bit. us today. Mm -hmm. So I got a little lazy, and I kept the format I made up last week. Uh, where I have four trivia questions Ooh. with different categories for each of you to uh, explore. 
at your will. Michael, do you want to go first this time? Sure. Uh, We have four categories today. We have a wholesome diet, Hmm. seeing a thinner you, Mm -hmm. MC Hammer would approve, (laughs) or side effects may include. I want to do seeing a thinner you. Seeing a thinner you. Mm. All right. The vision diet was invented (laughs) in the late 2000s by a Japanese inventor, which states, one, wearing blue tinted sunglasses will promote weight loss. (laughs) Two, watching Paul Bettany as the vision in Avengers uh, promotes weight loss. (laughs) Three, 10 minutes of meditation twice a day where you envision your perfect body will help your body course correct. Or four, hallucinogenics can be used mm. to enhance weight loss. Huh. I I really, really want it to be about vision in the Avengers. <laughs> I want to believe that somebody thought that Paul that Bettany was- Paul Bettany provo- promotes weight loss. Yes. I want to believe that that's the case. I don't. I don't think it is. <laughs> um, I think that uh, if I had to guess, I would say it would be number three, that meditating on the better you uh, and, and envisioning yourself in a different body is supposed to somehow promote a thinner you. Is that? Okay. We're going with number three, uh, meditation. Mm-hmm. Okay. The correct answer is number one, wearing blue tinted sunglasses <laughs> oh will God. promote weight loss. How? What was his so theory? So you can still buy these things. These blue tinted sunglasses are available on the market. The premise is fast food restaurants for years have known oh. that orange and red promote mm. appetite, right? Um, a lot of like our most appetizing foods are red and orange and browns. Mm. So blue is supposed to be the least appetizing color. Yes. So by wearing these blue sunglasses, it's supposed to make everything look less interesting to eat. I did actually notice in the documentary whenever they're showing the the stock footage of like people eating junk food, it was very orange. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. It was like orange soda and Cheetos and there was just Pizza. so much or it, not even just red. A lot of I was junk food orange. is. Even yeah. like a lot of the baked goods, it, it's like an orangish brown and that sort of thing. It. I wonder if people did people try it wearing these blue glasses. Uh, yes, and there was absolutely no evidence to support their <laughs> premise whatsoever. Not a drop. Oh. So we know it works. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think Trevor, you're up. Okay. Um, remind me of the sections. A wholesome diet, MC Hammer would approve, or side effects may include. Uh, I want to do side effects may include. Damn, that's what I wanted to choose. (laughs) (laughs) I think you're going to know this one, but all good. Uh, Alestra (laughs) was a fat that could not be absorbed by the body and was used to mass produce low-fat junk food. Which of the following were not side effects caused by Alestra? (laughs) Weight loss. One, abdominal cramping. Two, increased intake of low-nutrient foods. Three, anal leakage. (laughs) Or four, addiction. Hmm. Mm, I'm going to say addiction. Addiction, number four. Yes. And the correct answer is, yes, of course, addiction. <laughs> Nobody <laughs> liked it. cramping, <laughs> anal leakage, and then gorging on the stuff that causes them. No, no. <laughs> this is a bad product. Do not bring this back. No. <laughs> oh, boy. What a quality. No, what's worse is you can now take this in a pill form to mess up all the fat you eat. 
Oh, yeah. Jesus. Really? Yeah. It's actually a diet pill that works that way. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. The, the sad part is I remember when it came out, a bunch of people were like, this stuff causes anal leakage. I have to try it. <laughs> what? <laughs> because it's just, it's fascinating. Like, why the hell? Okay. Okay. I can be fascinated, you know, with anal leakage without actually wanting to experience it myself. Wait, and to Michael, clarify. You're fascinated by anal leakage? I, I said I could be. Mm-hmm. <laughs> could be. Hypothetical. Mm-hmm. Moving on. <laughs> okay. Send all photos and stories to Michael. <laughs> uh, okay. So, Dan. Yes. Would you prefer a wholesome diet or MC Hammer would approve? Uh, I think I have a better chance of getting the wholesome diet question right. Okay. A wholesome diet. Here we go. In 1830, Sylvester Graham was a Presbyterian minister and early vegetarian who believed people were fat because, one, God had cursed them, <laughs> two, they're carrying swamp gas around in their bellies. Oh, God. Yep, we know that's it. Three, <laughs> they had too much sex. Or four, they drank too much water. Mm, I don't know this. They of course all you do. sound. <laughs> is, it the, is it the swamp gas? <laughs> yes, we've established this. Are you going with a swamp gas? Uh, well, only because I have nothing better to choose, and Michael seems to be cheering for it. So, yay, swamp <laughs> gas! Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna go off. I'm gonna go off, and I'm gonna give you a little bit of a clue. Okay, the name of the person we're discussing is Sylvester Graham. Yeah, I just can't believe that he thought fat people were having too much sex. <laughs> I just, I mean, sometimes that's true, but I don't think he believed that. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right. You know what, though? Given your, your, your expert guidance and tutelage, I will go with the oversexed fat person. You are, in fact, correct. I got it. <laughs> so Mr. Graham thought that uh, sex led to weight, lo- weight gain. Oh, my God. Uh, so uh, all of his like vegetarianism coming up with graham crackers to try and curb sexual cravings. Uh, there you go. Fat people were too damn sexy. Oh, did he believe maybe? I, I'm trying to think because it's just so it's just so not the stereotype. I'm just trying to think if maybe he thought that people who have a lot of sex have a lot of appetite in general. Hmm. It's probably a connection. I bet there, it's but that. I bet it's that. Or all right. Like if you're not having sex, it's because you're exercising good self-control like that weird backwards mindset. And so exactly, fat yeah. people don't have self. Oh, so we have our correlational versus causal relationship here. Or, or just versus insanity. What? Yeah. Like total <laughs> bullshit. <laughs> all right. So our final category for all three of you, MC Hammer would approve. Uh, do you remember his famous pants? Well, that's the connection to this uh, particular question. The Obalon balloon pill is best described as one, a pill that when swallowed absorbs liquid in the stomach, gradually increasing in size to promote a feeling of fullness Two, a plastic cartridge on a string like hose that is swallowed, inflated via the hose with air to make the user feel like their stomach is full. Ugh. Three, a high calorie nutrient pill to help users gain weight to balloon up <laughs> or four, a suppository that inflates to intentionally create a blockage in order to make eating unpleasant. Uh, I'm gonna say the uh, the pill on the the little hose that inflates. Pill on the hose. Yeah, I think that's what it is too. I think I think I might know that. To I'm gonna true, go for the first one, the uh, the one that just absorbs absorbs liquids. Liquid. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And then just, the correct answer is, in fact, a plastic cartridge on a string like hose. Yeah. Oh, God. This is an actual product that's out there. Mm. Is it supposed um, to be self administered? 
I think it's supposed to be administered by a doctor. Yeah, it is. It's by a doctor, and you swallow this. And the reason you swallow it is so he doesn't have to cram it down you. And uh-huh. you, you swallow the pill. It's tiny enough that it, it, and, and it has this little hose to it. And then they gradually fill it up with air and, and leave it there. Can we talk about the potential genius invention that Don has come up with, though? Number four, the suppository. <laughs> like, this could be a game changer. I could market that shit, and people would buy it. I will sell it through Goop, and people will be all over it. <laughs> It's a it's a crystal balloon. Also not self-administered if you really want to have a good time. <laughs> I mean technically oh anything that's self-administered could be recreationally administered by all sorts of people. Yeah. Ooh, I I do have a tip. Oh, Ooh. yes, please. Just the tip. Just Yes, just just the tip. So there is a I saw a few people I know on Facebook sharing this. Um if you are in need of a reusable mask, there is a company uh, out of based out of New York. It's uh, JCRT, JC-RT.com. And it is this bear couple that um, it's a, their company does um, very stylish plaid shirts. Hmm. And they, they're designers. Uh, they opened the company in 2016. It's um, Jeffrey Costillo and Robert. Uh, let's hope I can get this right. Taglia Pietra. Um, Dan? It sounds like Talia Pietra. Yes. There you go. <laughs> um, and so they, all of their plaids are kind of, they pick different movies and different things from pop culture to inspire their patterns. Hmm. But they have reopened their factories to make masks. And they're selling them uh, five for $30, which is the best price I've seen for any reusable masks. Uh, they're basically just trying to cover the cost of producing the masks. Hmm. But you can also purchase a pack of five that they'll donate uh, $20. So instead of $30, you'll pay $50. They donate $20 to the uh, COVID emergency response fund. Nice. nice. Yeah. I just love that we've come to the point of the pandemic where bears are donating their flannel. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's serious times, everybody. I, I think, so if anyone... <laughs> If Trevor, so Trevor and Dan came to visit uh, a socially oh, distant, a very responsible socially distant visit in my in my driveway for my birthday, and when I looked, they rolled down the windows, and they're both wearing these like like itty were- bitty like two inch square <laughs> baby sized <laughs> masks. Okay, so these well, masks- it's especially it's especially baby sized on Trevor's big face. <laughs> yes, uh, these I got from a friend. Uh, I don't know if it was for my birthday or just a a souvenir when he went to Japan last year. They are Winnie the Pooh child um, disposable (laughs) face masks. Um, So what you got to get on Trevor's face covers like almost almost his nose and mouth. Yes, (laughs) maybe a very tiny square, um, which it's getting the job done for now. I have some reusable masks that I I don't know if they're going to come or not. I also ordered some from this company to support them. If you're looking for, you know, reasonable face masks, we'll share the information on <laughs> all of our lovely things, which I guess has music now. Yes. And <laughs> okay. three, two, one, go. So we are on Instagram and Twitter as at Big Fat Gay Pod. We're on Facebook as the Big Fat Gay Podcast. You can check out our website and all the lovely stuff we talk about in this episode at www.bigfatgaypod.com. Also, Leave us a five-star review on Apple or uh, Stitcher. Uh, maybe Stitcher. Stitcher. Yes, I think there's only two. That, <laughs> even Facebook. Even in oh, yeah. Facebook, yeah, Facebook, you can go on there Give and leave us. five stars on Facebook. And we have a really Send. lovely community of people who like to comment and, and a lot of times have very interesting things to say. So you could also get to know some cool people. 
Yeah. And um, maybe you are in your car listening. Maybe you decided <laughs> to take a drive, but it's uh, there is someone behind you, but they have a face mask on. So it's OK. <laughs> and wait. And, and sorry, what day was it again? It's Wednesday. If you're listening on the day it came out. <laughs> Watch out. <laughs>